Anyway, our hope is in Jesus Christ. And I'm more convinced that we're going to see a great move of God than I've ever been. They're not going to talk me out of it. Some people say it ain't going to happen. Well, that's what you say. But I know what I've seen, and I ain't backing up off of that no matter what. That's my word. But now, speaking of Miss, oh, I didn't even speak about Mississippi. I was going to tell you, that's where we had revival when Shirley and I, we were pastoring in Columbia, Mississippi. If there's anywhere you thought revival wouldn't have come, that would have been it. And we saw a major move of God. They wrote about it in Charisma. It was on television and radio and newspapers. They had one of the articles, God comes to Columbia. And he came. And those were the days that we didn't want to, you didn't want to go to sleep. I couldn't wait to get back to church. And where I was pastoring, if that was true, that means revival was there. I'm just telling you. But we didn't. I remember one night thinking, God, I don't want to close my eyes. I don't want to miss anything. And uh, God wants to do it again. But speaking of Mississippi, that was then. This is now. Uh, Someone who I trust so much gave me a word Regarding Mississippi. So here's what I thought we'd do this morning. I want to pray over Mississippi. Is that okay? Because it was also a word to the churches in the South. You know, people are going to start leaving some of these really liberal cities that are demanding mandates that are unconstitutional and unholy. And I'm going to speak it like it is. It's unconstitutional and unholy and a fraud and a scam and a lie and a lot of things else. Okay, hold it down, David, today. But anyway, this was the word about Mississippi. I want to speak it and then pray over Mississippi. Because we were there, and we planted some seeds there, so maybe God wants to stir it up. And you have to speak these things. So Mississippi, we're, we're to hear for the nation. Mississippi, expect, expect, expect. I'm roaming the land to find good places to dwell in my fullness. Do not underestimate the power the Lord is releasing. He wants his land, he wants his people to rise up in victory. It's Mississippi that has been called and other places in the South to be a blessed land of his presence and his peace in turbulent times. A resting place of refuge for his people coming from the north. Increase, increase, increase. I'm pouring out my power. And then we're challenged to pray for the churches to receive power and to embrace the I am. Because he is above all things. And it's his abiding presence that's going to turn the tide. So you guys, let's just pray now. And thank you, Janet, for passing that word on. You don't, did I say it correctly? I think pretty close. But anyway, I, don't, I, don't, I take these things serious. So, Lord, right now we pray for the churches and the believers in the great state of Mississippi. Lord, we pray. Lord, I've seen a little bit of revival in that land. And, Lord, we ask now for a mighty rushing wind to 
come again across the state of Mississippi, awaken the churches, send a great revival, Lord, from Tupelo to Biloxi, Lord, from Columbia to Jackson, Lord, all places in between. Lord, breathe over Mississippi, we pray, and let them have a great expectancy about what you're going to do. Lord, we pray for places of refuge and places where the abiding presence of the Lord would be so obvious and that, God, you would, they would be prepared to receive them. And we pray for that in all the states of the South and in all the places that are upholding righteousness and holiness in this hour. And we thank you, and we even declare that here, God. That's our stand for Moravian Falls, that this is the holy place. And we pray, God, that it would be a place where great revival would break out and spread across the land. Thank you, Lord, for the fires in the past, but thank you for the fires that are to come in this hour, for a mighty fire, a mighty move of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we know our hope is not in a man. It's not in an election. It's not in a process. It's in the person of Jesus Christ. And we declare that from this place. And Lord, thank you for that resolution from our friends, our sister churches. And we join with them. And we say this is a county of life. We honor life of the unborn, the elderly, and all in between. And we will be a place of life. For Jesus has come to give life and that you might have it more abundantly. And we pray all this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. You know that I looked online this morning, the Azusa Street Mission. It's called, it's the birth, we know it's the cradle of worldwide Pentecostal movement. We know that. But it was the site of a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit. You know, there have been all kinds of prophecies that it was going to happen again. Why not us? Why not you? Why not me? Why not you? Why not here? Why not there? Why not now? In Jesus' name. Well, praise the Lord. Okay, we want to receive our offering. I'm sorry I get a little fired up sometimes. I'm not sorry. You know what? I got to tell you one thing. I remember. Yeah, turn. Go ahead. I remember, this is one of the first dreams I ever had. Now, my hope is not in some dream. It's in the Word of God, but the dreams that do confirm, you know, because I know you can get off and you can put your trust in things other than God's Word. But anyway, it's one of the first dreams. And I was preaching on a television set, and I was declaring the righteousness of God where they didn't want to hear it. And I remember in that dream, I was looking at the camera and I said, Thus saith the Lord thy God. And they didn't like it and they wanted me dead. They, want, they called the police in the dream and the police were coming. And when they got to where I was, I wasn't. And they were saying, where'd he go? Where is he? And I, he couldn't find me. Well, Lord, I'm reminding you of that. When they come looking, they're not going to find me. And if they find me, so be it. And they ain't going to find you either until it's your time. This is a hidden place. But I believe wherever God's people are, there's a, they are in a place of refuge. If you know the one who is your refuge and strength, so you, you cling to him in this hour.
You don't let the world dictate how you feel about what's happening. You let thus saith the Lord. And it is written, determine all that involves you. Well, this morning we're going to be uh, looking at the royal law. Thou shalt love your neighbor as yourself. And we're going to be starting by looking. Um, Pastor David spoke about a young man buried outside. We're going to also look at a, an older man buried outside and what it means. So when I asked the Lord what he wanted to, me to preach on, he said love. I said, okay, that sounds good. Because we need to abide in love, don't we? Faith and hope. But the greatest is love. And of course, Bob Jones said, have we learnt to love? So that implies to me that we need to make an effort, you know, practically as well. So I was thinking about Bob Jones buried in the grounds. And uh, it reminded me of a, a verse that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Well, we normally look at the front end of that verse, that Christ has released us from a curse. But, but have you thought about it? Why is it cursed is everybody who hangs on a tree? Why? I mean, I think it must be pretty bad when you get to that point. So how can it be a curse? And I think the answer is, that we shouldn't be hanging on a tree, we should be buried. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. So, we know, you know we can plant grain and we grow something. But what actually happens if we plant a body? What does it grow? By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, he made mention of the departure of the children of Israel. And he gave instructions concerning his bones. Joseph took an oath from the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you and you shall carry up my bones from here. And so Joseph died being 110 years old. And they embalmed him and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. So why did the bones of Joseph have to be brought out of Egypt and planted in Israel? In the Talmud, the Jewish study writings. It says that the Egyptians put Joseph's coffin into the Nile so that its water would be blessed. I didn't know that. There's knowledge and things that we've lost over time. But there was a reason behind it. And so when Moses left Egypt, he took the bones with him. 
For Joseph had placed the children of Israel under a solemn oath, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here with you. And so the bones of Joseph were buried in Shechem, in the plot of ground which Jacob had bought. Now, I want you to think about the scale of this. This was so important that he made them make a solemn oath. And the scale of it, I want to look at the time. You know, when Janet asked me to pick up some milk from the supermarket, you know, I have to write it down unless I come back with something else. Or nothing at all. Or what milk? Do, do we realize how long those bones were in Egypt? You know, Israel was there 430 years. Now, Joseph arrived when he was about 17. He died when he was 110. So that means that those bones were there for 337 years. Can you Imagine remembering a promise that long. And so we see, you know, if we think about when 337 years ago was from today, we're talking about 1684. You know, we didn't have an America, a USA, until 1776, around 100 years later. This is a long time to remember a promise. And that tells me that this was important. Now, do we have anything else in Scripture about bones? We have Elisha. When Elisha died, they buried him. And the raiding bands from Moab invaded the land in the spring of the year. And so it was as they were burying a man that they suddenly spied a band of raiders. And they put the man in the tomb of Elisha. And when the, men, when the man was let down and touched the bones of Elisha, he revived and stood on his feet. So if the bones of Joseph can bring blessing, if the bones of Elisha can raise the dead, then what are the bones of Bob Jones doing to this area? So we need to learn to love because that explosion of love through willing hearts is going to make a difference to the world. Now, back when I was a young man, I was going to sleep one day and the Lord said to me, he said, Martin, you're getting married soon. I said, okay. Okay. And a couple of weeks later, I was going to sleep, just as my head hit the pillow. And he said, Martin, you're getting engaged soon. So I thought, well, who's the girl? <laughs> and he said, Janet. I'd never spoken to her one single conversation. 
I told my brother that night, I said, the Lord has told me that I'm marrying this girl called Janet. And he looks me in the eye and he says, Martin, has all that studying gone to your head? <laughs> so what should I do? I called her up and I said, can I come over for a meal? She said, yes, because three months earlier, she had a vision she was getting married to me. She already knew, but she didn't tell me. So we were engaged that week, and we were married three months later, and that was 1986, 35 years ago. Well, God, you know, God loves to bless us, doesn't he? And, but our children, um, they weren't coming. And I was practicing. And year after year went by and they, they, they weren't coming. And the Lord said to Janet that, that they were going to come at the perfect time. And of course we now know that it was perfect. Because the Lord was telling me every year, Martin, you're going to America. Martin, you're going to America. Martin, you are an American. And uh, so if our children had been born at the normal time, they would have been adults with children. Because, um, and we wouldn't necessarily have been able to bring them all to America. They may have had their own careers. And so as the Lord said to Janet, they will come in the perfect time. So 16 years after being married, Janet becomes pregnant. And this pregnancy, um, the birth was difficult. It was 16 hours. And in it, the, the, the shoulders got stuck. They couldn't do a, a you know, serine cut on it because he was too far down. And it was extremely traumatic, and they used, um, you know, those forceps to pull him out, and it, it wasn't good. And he came out, and he was crying. His name was David, beloved. And this baby was crying, 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 and would not stop. And so I said to the, the nurses, could I go in and lay hands on him? And you see, he had a problem with his brain. I don't know if that was from the forceps, and he had a problem with his heart. And so he was in the incubator. And he'd been crying nonstop. They, they later told us that they, they did not think he would last the night. So it was all pretty serious. So I laid my hands into the incubator and prayed for him. And he stopped crying. And the, we were told later that the nurses had been praying for the consultant for years that he would see his first miracle. 
and he, he proclaimed that he'd seen his first miracle. Yeah. And this is in London, a very cynical place. But his heart hadn't been healed, just his brain. And so for the next two days, it was so difficult. And we were just so upset, of course, praying away, getting everybody to pray. And there was dark clouds outside, and we were in the waiting room. And Janet said to me, Martin, look in the spirit and see if you can see anything. So I looked into David's heart, and I saw three beetles crawling around the heart. And I don't know how demonic forces procreate, but they had come and were in the heart. So I used my sword, the sword of the spirit, and I pushed it into his heart and pulled them out one by one. And uh, he was healed. Yes. Completely healed. You know, I want you to know how much I love my son. I love my son. And a few weeks after he was born, the Lord gave me a dream. And in this dream, I was in an aeroplane with my son David. He, he was at the size of a baby. He was a baby in the dream. And in the dream, he fell out of a door, out of the plane. And I was looking around, not knowing what to do. And the, in the dream, the only thing I could think of doing was to dive out of the plane myself. And I caught up with him, and I put him on my chest, and I turned my back so my back would take the floor, the, it would hit the ground first. And, and then I woke up, and I was thinking, I had a really warm feeling, and I was saying, Lord, you have put this love in my heart that I didn't know about. A father's love, you know, for his son. For God so loved the world that he gave his, his only begotten son. So we're going to continue with sons in a moment. Now if we look at King David, King David, we know he was a man after God's own heart. But he, he did commit adultery and, and murder as well. And so the Lord sent the prophet Nathan to bring a judgment on him. Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? You have killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You have taken his wife to be your wife and, then, and have killed him with the sword of the people of Ammon. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house. You know, it's such a, a bad situation. 
And, you know, I was thinking about it the other day that, you know, Uriah the Hittite, he was one of David's mighty men. He'd even let down the mighty men. Well, we see that that sword didn't depart from David's house and his family. And of course, when Absalom took an army to kill his dad, you know, it's a little bit bad, isn't it? You know, if your enemies don't like you, well, okay. But when your, your son is trying to kill you. And of course, David's army prevailed and they, they killed Absalom. Joab killed him. But was David pleased? No. The king was deeply moved and went up to the chamber. And as he went, he said, Oh, my son, Absalom, my son, Absalom, if only I had died in your place. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. And you see, what had happened here is that with the judgment from God was a revelation. And what he'd done, Father had shared an emotion with King David that he rarely shares with anybody. And I'm glad I'm not in that club. There was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came among them. We know Satan was a morning star, or should we say Lucifer at that point. He was a morning star. Have you ever thought how Father felt when he was betrayed by one of his sons, a son of God, who came after him, tried to steal his kingdom, kill him when he shared that that love with King David and that knowledge so what is love well we're going to get into some more study now the first instance of the word love in the Bible is Genesis 22 2 that's very nice to remember Take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Well, I'm glad he's never asked me to do that. This is, you know, incredible. You know, I think, we'd, I think I'd want the Lord to appear before me and then I'd want to check my senses and want at least two or three confirmations or two or three thousand confirmations. You know, to cut his throat, burn him. 
There's some strange things in Scripture. And on the face of it, some of these Scriptures seem a little wrong. And we're going to look at that a little bit later. But God can often have a different plan. One of those is Jephthah. Now Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said, If you will indeed deliver the people of Ammon into my hands, then it will be that whatever comes out of the doors of the house to meet me when I return in peace shall surely be the Lord's, and I will offer it up as a burnt offering. And when Jephthah came to the house, his daughter came out to meet him with the timbrels and dances she was his only child. Alas, my daughter, you have brought me very low. I have given my word to the Lord, and I cannot go back on it. So she said to him, My father, if you have given your word to the Lord, do to me according to what has gone out of your mouth. Because the Lord avenged you of your enemies. And so it was at the end of two months that she returned to her father. And he carried out his vow with which he had vowed. Now now often this can seem that he was a little rash in what he promised. But you know... I think he was inspired to do that. My first clue is that he is honoured in the book of Hebrews 11, chapter 11, the chapter of faith. There must be more to this. And what I can see through some of these passages in Scripture is that something was going on. Father was preparing the defense of the resurrection. You see, when Father raised Jesus from the dead, the first thing Satan would have said, you know, this is a foul, because all power and authority was given to Jesus. This can't be, this is not legal. Jesus said that he would be raised on the third day, but no man could have that faith. And Father would say, Abraham. Abraham believed that Father would be able to raise him from the dead because of the promises. Oh, okay. Well, no human child would would deliberately go to their death as a sacrifice. Mm -hmm. Jephthah's daughter. These were a preparation for the legal elements that would come when there was a challenge to the resurrection and the power. Praise the living God. So, greater love has no man than this, that a man laid down his life for his friends. I'm reading that and I'm thinking, I can think of greater love, Lord. You know what it is when you challenge the word? You know, there's a bit of a shaky ground there, you know. And uh, normally it goes, Lord, 
I don't believe this. And it's either your word's wrong and I'm wrong, so I'm sorry. Can you explain it to me? Can you give me understanding? And what I found out is often it can be either a difference in the translation or a, a new level of understanding. And there's always revelation when you challenge what you don't understand. Because, you know, only a fool believes every word. We want to understand, have, give us understanding. And uh, it, it's a little bit like the verse, 2 Timothy 1.7. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. Every time I read that, I say, mm, no, no, that doesn't sound right to me. Because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. What, what's going on here? So again, this is one where you can just have a little look at the word in the, in the Greek and see what's going on. We see the word for fear is a word called phobos, phobia, you know, arachnophobia and all these types of fears. Well, that's not what it says here. It doesn't say phobia. It says delia. And in the New Testament, the word phobia is, is 40 times translated as fear. Um, and there's just one exception, 2 Timothy 1.7. And delia means fearfulness. God has not given us a spirit that is full of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. So I'm reading away, greater love has no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. And I'm sort of thinking, well... That's quite easy, Lord. You know, if you want me to lay my life down, bing, that's fine. You want me to burn my son and cut his throat? I think that takes a greater love. It takes a greater love to lay down your son's life. So why does it say greater love has no man than this? And I think that's where we've got the clue. It's no man. We need a different level of love. We want Father's love. Jesus' love. Have we learned to love? We need to push forward. And I'm going to lead us in a dangerous prayer later on where we're going to ask for Jesus' love if you want it. So praise you, Lord. So what are these different levels of love? You, you have heard it that you said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. That you may be sons of your father in heaven for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust for if you love those who love you what reward do you have do not even the tax collectors do the same therefore you shall be perfect just as your father is perfect we need to reach on from just simply 
loving our friends, loving our family. And we need to move on. Because Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man one might die. Yet perhaps a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us. In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. A certain lawyer stood up and testing Jesus said, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered rightly, do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, and he said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And Jesus answered and said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves. You stripped him of his clothing, wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a certain priest came down the road and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds. He poured on oil and wine and he set him on his own animal. He brought him to an inn and took care of him. And on the next day when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper and said to him, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think were neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said, he who showed mercy on him. And Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. You know, the Samaritans spent a lot of money on him, two denarii. You know, one denarii is normally looked at as being a day's wage. You know, when the laborers came and worked for the day and took the heat of the day, they all got one denarii for the day. So how much would two denarii be? Two days' worth of money. So I think between two, six, two and six hundred dollars he took out of his pocket for him. But he didn't just give money. And he said if there isn't going to cost any more, that he was going to provide it. He, he gave his time. Time is very important. You see, time is our life. There's two things that represent our life. Money does and time does. Because we change our time into money by going to work. 
and our time is, we've, is limited. He gave his time, he gave his life, he gave his money. He, gave, he was inconvenienced. You know, he was riding on his donkey. I don't know if it was a brand new donkey, but uh, I, I like cars. <laughs> but you know, to get out and put somebody else in, okay, that's what's needed. But that's what the Samaritan did. He gave him his ride. And, you know, I think about it, and I think he bandaged him up. He poured the oil in, poured the wine in. My goodness, what sort of man is he? He sounds like my wife has got a bag like that, but I don't normally carry all that around, you know. But I think we've got a prophetic side to that, haven't we? The bandage, you know, the truth. What is the truth going on? The belt of truth, the oil, are we prepared? Are we oiled up? Do we have the blood? Do we have the wine? Are we ready? And you know, we need to be prepared. You know, in my wallet, I always keep money. I don't just keep money for what I need, because not all my money is for me. I always have, I'm always ready to be able to give. Time, I always like to give more time. I'm often in my office at Morningstar at 11 o'clock, but I always get there earlier. And do you know why? Because as I walk down to the office, a lot of people want to talk to me. And I don't want to say to them, I don't have time for you. I've got a meeting. What did the Levites and the priests do? They did probably didn't have time to help that person. They got something more important. You know, I'm a priest, I'm going to the temple, you know. Somebody else can sort this one out, Lord. But pre preparations, prepare your time. Don't just prepare exactly what you need. Prepare for the people you're going to meet you don't know you're going to meet. To make them feel welcome and not rejected. You know, when you go to talk to somebody and they can't talk to you. Have enough time, have enough money, have enough oil, have enough wine, and know what the truth is. Margaret Thatcher, she was the Prime Minister of England, I'm sure you all know that. She said, no one would remember the Good Samaritan if he only had good intentions. But he had money as well. We can't be charitable if we don't have money. It's a pillar in our lives. We need to, to have money. When I was a pastor, I was a pastor for 20 years in London, I said to the Lord once, Lord, it seems to me a lot of problems people have is through imbalance. You know, it's not so much that they don't have that, the heart, they're putting too much time into one thing and not enough in another. You know, and it can be, you know, even the most godly of people can have problems in their lives because of imbalance. So I said, Lord, how many are there? And he said to me, seven. Well, I said, seven's an obvious number, Lord. Can, can you show me in your word? <laughs> and he said, uh, turn to Proverbs 9, verse 1. So I turned to Proverbs 9, 1, and he says, Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn out 
her seven pillars. Oh, I said, well, I could, that, that sounds reasonable, Lord. So I asked the Lord what they were, and, and one of the, you know, the, the first one's obvious, seek first the kingdom of God, next one, and his righteousness being holy, and there's health, your work, one of them is money, one of them is leisure, and another is family. And each of these, we can put too much or too little time in. If you put too much time into earning money, you know, you can miss out on your calling and what God wants. If you put too much time into the kingdom of God, you might not earn enough money to pay for your children's shoes. You know, you have to be balanced. If you want to be a dad and you want to be a great family man, I'm a family man, I spend all week looking after my kids. You know, I spend that quality time with them. Um, but we don't have enough money for holidays or going out to do sports or shoes or all the rest of it. But I'm a good family man. It's imbalance. The businessman who spends so much time, time working in money, but doesn't see his family. Balance. I don't know how I got there. Just that money is important. We need to make sure our money is in place because it's not always just for us. So praise the Lord. Another thing Margaret Thatcher said, which is quite interesting, she said the trouble with socialism is that eventually you run out of other people's money. Praise you, Lord. Mm. So, by this we know love. Because he laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart. That's what the priest and Levite did, and they quickly shut their hearts. How does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. So God wants us to bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. The royal law. So, do you love God? He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. When we keep his word, it isn't just the written word, but that's pretty obvious because it's just black and white. But what he says to us as well. One day I was, uh, I was in London. I just had a whole day's work and I was tired. And I was on my way home. And I just got off the tube and I was sitting on a bench. And the Lord said to me, he said, Martin, I've got something I want you to do. But I'm not going to tell you what it is. 
I'm not going to tell you until you tell me you are going to do it. Ah, oh, wow. I'm on my way home. What's he going to tell me? Catch an aeroplane to South Africa? What's he, what, what's he going to tell me to do? And I've got to tell him I'm willing without knowing what it is. So I said straight away, no, no, it wasn't straight away. <laughs> it took me 15 minutes <laughs> sitting there thinking, I want to go home. <laughs> and then all the little fears comes in of what he'll tell me to do. So after 15 minutes, I managed to get my heart in the right place. I said, okay, Lord, what do you want me to do? I will do it. And he said, get back on the train. I got back on this train. He started going around the circle line in London. And I think it was two stops later, he said, now get off. So I got off, okay. Now walk down to where that tunnel is. Okay, now go down the tunnel. Now take a left. I took a left. And he walks me up to a man with his arms in the air crying, asking for God to send him somebody. And I prayed for him and helped him and then floated home. My spirit was so elated to be used. So abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. And just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Well, we know what he did. Praise you, Jesus. The branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. And we know that the first fruit of the Spirit is love. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not know does not know God. God is love. Praise you, Lord. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. Oh, by the way, the Lord said to me to make sure I tell everybody that he loves them. So are we getting that, everybody? God loves you. Okay, where was I? God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. So are we going to make a commitment to love more? Are we going to ask God for Christ's love? Father's love? Peter said to the Lord, Lord, why can I not follow you right now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus answered, will you? Man's love runs out. So what was the difference when Peter laid his life down? He had been baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit, and he was a different man. 
Well, I want to be that different man. I want to have Father's love. I don't want you to ask me to sacrifice David, though, Lord. Please. But, you know, I'd really like to have that love, that care, that concern. And we get that love by it being poured out into us by the Holy Spirit, the difference for Peter. Paul, he gave up his life. All the sufferings he went through for the will of God. And he said, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. That's when you know you've laid your life down completely. But Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So Paul wrote some prayers about love. And I thought, rather than having everybody come up, I'm going to pray these prayers. And if you want them, put your hand up to receive them. Okay? If you don't want to pray it, don't pray it, because it might get a little bit tricky later on. So let's start. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named that he would grant you and that includes everybody watching according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend of all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and discernment. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling aroma and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all just as we do to you so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ 
with all his saints. Now may the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patience of Christ. Now this is a big one. Dear Father, my love, my human love, is not sufficient. Please pour into me, by your Holy Spirit, the love of Christ and the love of our Father. The end of all things is at hand. So be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all things, have fervent love for one another. For love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God.